guys. Welcome to episode 22 of the Atlas podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at fanbolt.com. And uh, my name is Shikai Mickelson, uh, creative director of Atlanta Movie Tours. So uh, what's been up? What's been been going on? We need an update on, on the little one and, and how you guys are doing and when you guys are coming home and all that fun stuff. Well, we are still here, um, but the hope is uh, that we will be out of here by the end of the week. Little guy continues to improve. Little guy is uh, mostly off oxygen, and now little guy is eating 100% uh, with his mouth. Which is That's very exciting. That's great. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we are progressing, but we're totally to the part where it's like we're so close to leaving that the light at the end of the tunnel is super close, but we haven't quite broken through yet. If that right. uh, if that makes any sense. But no, I mean, every everything is good. We're we're very antsy for um for normal again, and uh, to maybe not record a podcast in the hallway of a hospital. That's something to also <laughs> look forward to. So uh, for listeners listening, apologies for that, but uh, we'll sneak back into the room, hopefully, at some point during the recording of this episode, when Zax isn't crying at the top of his lungs. So you have that to look forward to. <laughs> He's just making his debut on the podcast. <laughs> That's right. That is very <laughs> true. And it's about time. <laughs> well, cool, cool. What else has been up with you guys? Have you just been just there dealing with everything or has anything else been going on or no it's 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 mainly been been this you know i mean what's interesting now is like we're kind of like we're kind of officially parents we're just parents with him connected to a particular wall in a particular hospital room you know which is weird it's surreal and with people kind of coming in and out and checking on him all the time um right which is both good but but we're also kind of like all right it's it's weird how quickly it turns a corner to like oh my goodness thank goodness we're at the hospital to like oh no now we've just got to, we're kind of like stuck in protocol, you know, to make sure that that all the check marks are made on the spreadsheet and everything else, you know. I mean, that's all for the greater good. But again, when you're, when you're so close to feeling freedom, you start to be like, he doesn't need his temperature taken right now. His blood pressure's <laughs> fine, you know, starts to happen. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, we've we've seriously just been in the room with them. Like, man, there's they have showers here. Mandy and I have been like sneaking away to use a shower. It's seriously like we're like at like a college dorm that just has medical equipment in it and there happens to be an infant that needs care in the room that's that's it's like the, <laughs> it's like a weird sadistic camping trip is, is what this Aww. is <laughs> no but well it, we're heading in the right direction so it's it's all good but yeah we're both yeah. super antsy for normalcy so well light at the end of the tunnel is nearing and yes ma'am I'm gonna miss you guys at Dragon Con, though. I we'll have to. We'll know. have a drink in your honor. I can't believe I was like, I was seriously optimistic we'd be out of here before that, and there's still a chance. But I think even now, if we got out before that, it would be a get acclimated to being home weekend, regardless. So I think. Oh yeah. Dragon Con Definitely. is not going to exist this year. I mean, it's totally going to exist just without my presence, which is worse for everybody. Much worse for everyone. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no worries. You'll still have you still have Halloween to dress up for and and dress up the little one too. So um, that's actually an excellent point. Your, yeah, yeah. You just use your Dragon Con ideas for Halloween. Brilliant. You're ahead of the game. <laughs> that's right. I've been waiting for Halloween to get here forever. It seems like. Well played. <laughs> 
Well, you know, apparently it's frowned upon to use your Dragon Con costume for Halloween. I just found that out this last weekend, and I was like, well, uh, I'm still planning on doing that, so... <laughs> who, who is the frowner in that... Who I guess, uh, you know, everybody gets so, so hoity-toity about what they're into. Come on, it's a costume. <laughs> no, I, I think it's just, you know, people that are more into, like, hardcore cosplay and Got are it. way better at making costumes than, than I am. Um, <laughs> you know, just they have a lot more lined up coming down the pipeline of... Of things that they're gonna do when meanwhile me i'm like i got everything from amazon i'm good to go for like all dressing up activities for the rest of the year right but um <laughs> yeah all of that gets underway um well that we have the pub crawl tomorrow night the media pub crawl and then thursday everything kind of gets started there's um we have a media party on thursday night and then there's a party party at uh, trader vicks which is just kind of like a you know hang out with everyone before the the real madness starts and after that it's just gonna be pure chaos we don't even um jen and i we've we've signed up for a bunch of interviews and we're still waiting on confirmations and i think only a couple of um of guests for the convention have actually confirmed for interviews so far. Right. Um, so it's very kind of nerve wracking. We have no idea what our schedule is going to be or where, when we need to be where, um, I have a panel on Sunday, which is going to be um, the rise of comics and pop culture. And there's the same panel that I did at uh, South by Southwest. So that's going to be Sunday at four in America's Mart building two. Nice. If anyone wants to make the journey over there, I usually stay away from America's Mart <laughs> during during the convention just because it's impossible to go anywhere. So I just set up camp at the the Marriott and rarely leave. But I guess I'll be a, a little bit more mobile this time around. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much everything that's uh, coming up. I'm just in full-blown Dragon Con mode. Well, there is one thing that I need to promote, uh, and, and that is uh, what Atlanta Movie Tours is doing for Dragon Con. They've never done it before. They're, they're doing hero tours. Uh, I yes. think the, the, the entire weekend. So, so if you're coming in from out of town, checking out Dragon Con, or even if you're in town, want to get a look at Atlanta in a different way, uh, you'd be surprised at how many uh, superhero things were filmed within uh, shouting distance of the whole epicenter of Dragon Con. So uh, you should jump in the bus and take an hour-long tour if you have the time to. Because I think, yeah, it's running all weekend. Um, yeah, and that's that's what's so great about that, too, is it's only an hour, so it's not right. like you have to, to worry about, you know, trying to, to carve out a lot of time in between panels or something. You can just be in and out in an hour and kind of, honestly, get a break from all of the insaneness inside of the hotels. It's <laughs> It would be a... You will need it. If you've not been to Dragon Con before, um, having a little bit of a breather outside the hotels, it's it's really a great opportunity for that. Let's sit in a nice air-conditioned bus and hear from a guy yes. who uh, knows, or person, or female. <laughs> what? I love that I try to go gender-neutral and whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, you hear from a, from an insider who's actually worked on set and stuff. So I, I think it's a pretty good time. I'm, I'm excited that they're giving it a try because... Before, we've had like a, a booth set up at, at the Dragon Con or, or even the same thing at the Walker Stalker Con. 
And uh, mm-hmm. that's like our core product is like, dude, check out the tours, check out the locations, not necessarily, I really want an Atlanta Movie Tours t-shirt. So I really hope that this is a, right. this is a big win. I, I certainly know it for people that come in out of town. They're always like, what? Captain America Civil War right here? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's super cool to see that. Um, I was actually just looking through um, some of the the press kit stuff for the DVD release of um, Captain America, and they had some cool kind of behind the scenes uh, shots. And I actually sent them over to to Carrie, and maybe they'll make an appearance, maybe not. But um, there's one that you can see. I know that's up on Entertainment Weekly, where it's like the the back lot at Pinewood, and you can kind of see um, one of the scenes and how they use the green screens to kind of superimpose everything and it looks really cool and being able to see it from um how they how they do the kind of switching in between having the special effects and not having the special effects is just super cool to see how it all comes together it is just such a mind bender how complicated all that stuff gets i just and and somewhere there's like some person that's responsible for all the logistics and keeps that all in order for the people actually doing the it's just insane Something of that scope. I just I just marvel at it with my mouth wide open. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool stuff. That's uh, that's that's cool that those photos are showing up. Yeah, yeah. I actually just spent a hour this morning editing a bunch of interview footage and just an iMovie because you know I'm I'm real I'm real hardcore like that. Not using <laughs> Premiere or After Effects or anything. Just using iMovie and. Uh, yeah, I got mad respect for those people that <laughs> do special <laughs> effects. Just like doing basic editing can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. So, yeah. Well, there's so many moving mad parts. Respect. But yeah, you know, I when came in, gets it done. It does. I've done. I've exactly. done music videos on my iPad. I'm not. I'm not trying to lie. I've done it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I edited a entire movie of my trip to Scotland, 42 minutes on my iPhone on the way back using their iMovie feature. And uh, what is great is that I was able to do it. Where it was not great was I had a really difficult time getting it off my phone because it was like 30 gigs. Wow. So, um, yeah. But while I was editing it, it was perfect. It was a seamless experience. But, uh, yeah, now I'm a little bit more conscious of my file sizes. I would love to see that, and uh, I've I've messed around a little bit just on my iPad. I tried to do something once on my phone. I was like, I can't do it. It's too small. I'm too annoyed by it. I can't do it. So, but no, that's uh, well, that's pretty cool. I just want you to know that I've just snuck into a lactation room to try and find some quiet. So I have to keep my ear open in case somebody actually needs it to, you know, pump milk for their infant. But in the meanwhile, I think I'm okay. (laughs) <laughs> nice, nice. So I love that you're adventure. making it work. Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is me being like I'm the MacGyver of podcasting. So the sound booth in this <laughs> case like just happens to include uh, photographs of infants sucking on breasts. So there you have it. Well, there you go. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, we had a interesting weekend at the box office. Uh, Suicide Squad officially got kicked out of the top slot. And I find this really fascinating. Um, Don't Breathe came in first, which is a, a horror flick that just came out this past weekend. And it earned an impressive $26.1 million. And it was only made, uh, the actual production budget of it was only $10 million. So that's a pretty awesome pretty awesome debut for that that film which is odd that's almost the second time what, what was the other horror movie uh uh 
lights lights out. Yeah, yeah. Because it lights out. Yeah, yeah it lights out. So, so kind of two small movies have kind of snuck in and gone big. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I always love hearing that. It's uh, and it's always really cool to see that, especially in the horror genre. I guess it's it's more common in that genre than than other genres, just because you know there are so many low budget horror films that kind of make it out into a wider release. But um, so wait, if wait, you're not has, familiar, has has Don't yeah. Breathe has it has it beat Ben Hur? No, it doesn't beat Ben Hur. <laughs> it might have. I wow. don't know. <laughs> wow. I, you know what? I only looked at the top five spots and Ben Hur. Um, ben Hur even last week was in six, so right. I didn't. Um, yeah, it's off the radar. <laughs> but <laughs> but. Um, uh, who who do we have in second? Suicide Squad fell to second place, bringing in twelve point twelve point one million uh, for a grand domestic total of two hundred eighty two point nine million. Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings brought in seven point nine million, taking the third spot. Fourth spot, also animated movie Seth Rogen's Sausage Party brought in seven point six million, and in the top or in the fifth spot rather was the debut of Jason Statham's new action flick with Jessica Alba, uh, Mechanic Resurrection, which brought in $7.5 million. So there you go. So not, not necessarily, in total, a huge movie-going weekend this weekend. Not a big movie-going weekend, no, not really. But, I mean, it's... You know, and Labor Day weekend, too, it's just going to be a little bit probably slower. People are outside doing things and kind of enjoying the last little bit of summer before, you know, kind of all of the craziness of fall and the holidays and all of the great movies um, that are coming out later this year. They just released another trailer for um, La La Land, which I'm already completely obsessed with and am, like, counting the days to the release of. Um, but there's just so many amazing movies that are coming out this fall that... I'm just not really paying attention to a lot of the ones that are currently out. <laughs> well, it's it's somehow it's like more fun to look forward to things than to look it at is. what's happening right now, even though there's cool, I guess there's cool stuff happening right now. But no, it's an interesting time in entertainment because all of the stuff is about to premiere, right? And like TV world and everything. Right. Else, so. Exactly. Exactly. And then the summer shows are getting ready to wrap up, too. I think Mr. Robot only has... Um, a few episodes left and then I'll be my my two shows Mr. Robot and Game of Thrones I'm going to be without for a very long period of time so that's that makes me sad but we've got Walking Dead coming back all of the CW shows um, there should be there should be some good shows this fall yeah. if only there was some yeah. entertainment out there that was available for consumption if only there if was only yeah Wow. Well, only Stranger Things season two was out. <laughs> right. I'd be set. Oh my but, gosh! Yeah, but we have something super cool um, in kind of uh, the anticipating an upcoming release: the Atlanta film Sully, which stars Tom Hanks and, of course, is uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, is coming out on September 9th, So just about a, a week and a half away. 
Uh, but we have an interview. We have two interviews, actually, one with Tom Hanks and one with Clint Eastwood. And this actually comes from um, uh, the EPK, which is called uh, short for Electronic Press Kit, which is uh, an online resource that reporters can use to basically pull interview clips from and um, press materials and all of that fun stuff. So I was going through that, um, looking at what we could do to to kind of feature Sully since there was, you know, such a big Atlanta part um, in filming that. And these interviews were great. I you made a comment earlier, Chikai, about like you could listen to Tom Hanks talk forever. Like that man's voice is so soothing. It's just like I, I don't know. Well, I it's very soothing. No, he's he's soothing, and he's so off. There's something about that dude that's just so authentic. I and uh, yeah. And, and listen, I don't want to. I would never want to promote another podcast. It's not this one because this is obviously the best podcast ever. But um, ever there's <laughs> of all time. Uh, but uh, uh, he's been. Tom Hanks has been a guest twice on The Nerdist, and if you're a mm-hmm. fan of entertainment or of actors or of Tom Hanks, you owe it to yourself to go back and listen to both of those interviews. It's just, I don't, he's just like the most, he, I just feel like he gives you true insight on what it's like to be an actor, despite the caliber of actor he is, you know? So yeah, and, he seems very uh, like just you could talk to him, you could have a conversation with him, he kind of lose the, the Hollywood vibe to him, which is, is really totally. cool. Totally. And what what I love is, is even in this clip that we're about to share, is that even in that, he just sounds like a dude having a conversation. You know what I mean? He doesn't sound like, oh, I got to do this press junket. He just sounds like a guy excited to have a conversation, which I don't know. It's just so cool. You can tell he's a dude that loves what he does. And even though, well, you guys have to hear the interview, but he kind of talks about that a little bit um, it, when he was tired and wanted to take a break and didn't up, end up taking a break because this came. You know, it's like the classic cliche. <laughs> but uh yeah, anyways, Tom Hanks, the guy's great, and everybody should, if they see him in person, they should high-five him for existing, because he's awesome. <laughs> Just for existing. I love yes. it. Um, well, that's perfect. Uh, we will we'll check out the, the Tom Hanks interview first, then. So, here you guys go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Hanks. Um, so, you were planning a... a- well-deserved vacation with Sully <laughs> Crust. Yeah, yeah. Show business all the way. You know, um, uh, show business gets in the way of everything. Pregnancies, you know, one of my... <laughs> I can go through and tell you, like, in one movie, here I only have three kids, and in this next scene, I now have four kids, because one was born, you know, in between shooting one thing or another. Uh, life uh, life gets in the way. I had, I, had, I had worked, you know, I had put my head down and plowed through an awful lot of great stuff. I'm, not, and I'm certainly not complaining. But I knew that I was, I was, I was tired and uh, had in my head uh, no, the, uh, a, a period of uh, non-activity. But, as is often the case, something comes along and you just, it's just, it's not, you, you, none of it is about business reasons. That's not that, that's not the, the, that what you work through. The fact is, I read the screenplay written by Todd, and I read it in 17 minutes, and I was infected with, you know, the, the bug of, uh, of imagining the story. And once that happens, you're doomed. The only thing you can do is hope that it works out schedule-wise. Uh, and I talked to, I talked to Clint, um, and we have, we know each other enough in order to the pleasantries didn't go on for very long, as I'd met him before, and, 
Uh, he said, "Hi, where are you? I'm in a car. Oh, where are you driving? I'm driving into L.A. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm in I'm in Budapest. Um, hey, this is great. Yeah, it is pretty great. Um, uh, 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 when do when do you want to start? Well, I think we have to start in October because we need the Hudson River. All right. Well, what I, you know, and then that that's all it was. It was just the logistics and the calendar. Um, so, having never worked with Clint before, although knowing him, you know, how did you find the experience having having you know both of you these incredible Careers. Well, it, it's 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 a twofold thing. One is, look, I've seen all all the movies of Clint Eastwood, and the ones that are amazing are super amazing. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh my gosh! I mean, let's let's you, you, just, you just just run down. Let's say I know how movies are made. So when I, I when I see them and I see what Clint has done with a minimum amount of fuss and at the same time with with every every cinematic trick that that exists, it's it's quite astounding. Just from a fan of being make, making movies, then you know him as an actor. I mean, you know, geez, he's he's got some pretty iconographic performances, films. That's one side of it. So fan and 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 coworker. That's one aspect. The other side is I, I, I made a survey of people who had worked with Clint. Say so. What's the deal? Are the stories true? Do you only get one take? Do you not know sometimes when the camera is rolling? Um, and they all said. And rightly so. It's like, you know, there's not a lot of takes, but there's a lot of coverage, which means that you have seven, eight, nine, maybe even more opportunities to do what you want to do in a scene. And I, to, 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 to back that up, leaving this, I never felt as though we missed, we left something on the table by the time that we were, we were shooting it. And sometimes just the opposite. I felt as though because he moved so fast, we were able to go on and find other aspects of the scenes um, that only came out because we had big momentum going with us. Awesome. And you spent time with the, the real Captain Sullivan. The real Sully Sullenberg. Um, what resonated with you about this man and that became very important that you... You don't want to screw up somebody's life, for one thing. And I, I do not ever want to project upon them some editorial aspect of their behavior. They behaved as they behaved. What, they hap what happened to them happened, and the results were co are completely objective to themselves. They're subjective to themselves. I want to be authentic to all those things. I want to be accurate to all those things, even though in a movie... I will say things they never said and be places they never did. I will be interpreting moments that are nothing like what, what actually happened. But I want to do all those armed with as much authenticity as, as possible. Part of that is, you know, with a guy like Sully, he walked me through the script. He had a big dog-eared, notated version of uh, one of the early drafts, and he was going through it, even scenes I'm not in, because I know you're not in this, Tom, but I want you to know, um, uh, as though it was the Gutenberg Bible. And on one hand, I said, it would, look, that's easy to change, Sully. You know, that we can change these names, and you know, any, any verbiage in there can be altered. But what's the other aspect of it? What is the stuff in here that is editorial? Or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Is, is, uh, is it objective or subjective moment, examination of what went on? That's the stuff that's, that's more important. Now, oddly enough, there was procedure that was in the screenplay that, by altering it, became more emotionally authentic to what went on. 
There were other things to it that were just slapped in for the sake of it. Like, for example, Jeff Skiles has never had a drink in his life. And there was an early draft of the screenplay. And they said, do you drink? He said, oh, I haven't, I haven't had a drink for eight years, meaning that he had been an alcoholic. And was out. No, he didn't. So he, he was like, you can't say that Skiles was ever. And I said, well, then it's out. And he goes, oh, all right. <laughs> so knowing how it works and knowing what we're going to have to do it sooner or later, uh, I, you know, I, I felt that was my job in order to weigh the differences in between with him and himself. And there was some stuff I said, well, you might have to fight with Clint on that, or I don't know how key that is to you know what Todd wrote. But by and large, all of it was in order to get to this place on in in the film, in the relationship that I had with Sully, with me and him, is what I wanted. I wanted the jungle drums to be beating. I wanted to hear the same drums that he heard. Um, and whether or not we did that or not is, you know, is, is open to interpretation. But uh, you know, I, I look, I uh, between his book, I, you'd have to ask him, you know, how authentic. I don't know if we did everything exactly perfectly, but the the uh, the one the the big aspect because his 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 book does not have the period of time of waiting for the NTSB hearing or the results of it. And I said, why isn't it in the book? He said, because it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> he had written the book before that happened. So finding out about the pressure of that, this could have been a screenplay in which that was truly fake and just, you know, ratcheted up because you got to make a movie about it. And it turned out to be the opposite. It was actually much more emotional for Sully, the 18 months that he spent. The only thing we did is we compressed it so you don't really know how much time went between the two. Um, but uh, that ended up being even more so than what Todd wrote. And, but the good news about that is, is that you carry that around inside of your head. It, it's not something that you, you know, you don't place placards right next to it. You just do it. Why do you think that the events of January 15, 2009 were so remarkable? I, I, my, my philosophy is this, is because of what didn't happen. We had gone through 9-11. The last thing the world needed to see and the last thing New York City wanted to experience was a bunch of dead people against the skyline of New York City. They did not see. They did need. They did not to see more wreckage, more flames on the water. They did not want to experience a moment where, guess what, everything fell apart one more time. The opposite happened, <laughs> which, on one hand, is something to celebrate, but the the bullet dodged, I think, is why it has this emotional resonance. Can you imagine what uh, the next 10 days would have been like in New York City with the river right there, with the bodies that would have to have been pulled out of the water, you know, and all of the story. The New York Times would have run that same story of all the little pictures of all the people who have been lost. And in that picture, you would have seen some, some sense of what America is, the different fabric regular ordinary lives of people in New York and Charlotte, North Carolina, the crew, you would have seen all that again and it would have been a massive moment, long moment of national mourning. And instead what happened was our institutions proved worthwhile, the people who were prepared and, and who's, or, or the professionals that did it actually did their job and guess what? We all survived what seemed to be an act of God 
by way of a flock of Canadian geese, you know, flying. Now, that, I think that's why, that's why it's all right. You can, you can celebrate what Sully did and his instincts and all that stuff, by all means. But I think the, the resonance that I felt, that this is what I felt when I first read the screenplay, because it had even more moments in it of people who are in New York City who are looking out. And they, what they were, you know what they were seeing? Another low-flying passenger airplane, you know, coming in coming in at, at, at the level of, of the buildings of New York City. No one wanted to see that. No one wanted to see that again. And they did, and it turned out to be one of the, the best news stories of the decade. So I think that's what it is. So that was Tom Hanks talking about Sully, which again comes out on September 9th. And uh, the event, of course, took place on January 15th, 2009. And for those of you that perhaps aren't familiar with the story. Of course, it's based on Captain Captain Sully uh, Sullenberg, who glided the disabled plane onto the frigid waters of the Hudson River, saving the lives of all 155 on board. Um, so that was really cool to hear him talk about the experience of, of making that movie. And what I found really interesting about it, and I guess maybe I wasn't familiar with some of the the rumors about working with Clint Eastwood, about the only having one take or not knowing when yeah. the camera was rolling. That was really cool to hear. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, and I liked that it, you know, it's just made up with made up for with coverage. And also, I, you know, and I love, I love that he kind of said he like I had a spreadsheet together to ask everybody how it was to work with him. You know, that that's just a sign of a veteran who gets to choose what he wants to work on and what he doesn't. Exactly. You know, he gets to go into he gets to go into a project knowing everything that he's getting himself into. Because yeah, even at that stage, right? Like Clint Eastwood is such a legendary name. Right. You know, you might not want to work with him because he might be a jerk. So uh, it was. I don't know. Again, somehow Tom Hanks just all always offers a little bit of authentic insight. It's fun. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, so, yeah, kind of on that note, let's jump into uh, the interview with Clint Eastwood. And really fast on Clint Eastwood, this dude is 86 years old. Yeah. And, and his biggest opening movie ever was the last one, which was American Sniper. So, like, people are like, oh, I want to retire. I'm like, ah, oh, be quiet. This dude is still churning out really good movies, and he's 86. That's pretty you know, you know, Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I think people that, that don't slow down and kind of um, that, that kind of keep going at an older age, I think it keeps them sharp longer. So I say keep doing it and keep making awesome movies. It's, it's after-school special time. Yes. But do what you love. <laughs> exactly. Do what you love, ladies and gentlemen. And with that... Here's Clint Eastwood not talking to an empty chair because that was a little weird. Okay, Clint Eastwood. Here we go. Okay, so I just wanted to start out and say and ask you if you could just tell me what your thoughts were when you first heard this story, when you first experienced the real Hudson Landing. Uh, well, I was fascinated by it, as uh, was most people, but especially that iconic picture of uh, the plane floating on the Hudson River and then all the people standing out on there, or a good portion of them standing out on the wings. And uh, I thought, oh, this is an interesting, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a great shot. And uh, then the, the fact that everybody, uh, nobody perished in the landing was, was, was great. And so it was kind of a good news program all, up, all the way around. Um, and, and it was at a time when there was just so much yeah. other kinds of news. Well, it was. It was, uh, especially for New Yorkers, it was uh, 
it, it was, became a very uh, uh, subject of discussion because it was right after, uh, not too long after 9-11, and uh, the economy was bad there at the time, and everybody was uh, uh, slightly on a depressed thing, kind of like they are today. But uh, anyway, they uh, it it uh, it was it was a fascinating story, and I I, th- I didn't know that there was a conflict to it. So when it came up, it was presented to me as the idea for a movie. I, I thought, well, it, it was such a uplifting story. Where, where's the conflict of it to give it a drama? And then later on, there is a conflict to it, as we find out in the plot line. I read that, and then I realized, oh, well, I want to make this now. It's got good dramatic to it and it's got good human factors mm-hmm. um, and y- you wanted to meet you went up to meet the real Sully and his wife Lori and mm-hmm. I-, I was just wondering if you could tell me what that experience was like and if you saw any sides to this man that you maybe didn't get for the new news coverage or that informed your what you wanted to the story you wanted to tell well he was pretty much like the news coverage actually he was uh, uh, the news uh, portrayed him as a uh, very uh, a low-key, sort of humble uh, gentleman, but a very efficient uh, man with a great uh, history in the aviation, and uh, and uh, he, he was like that. I went up to uh, Danville and and met with both he and his wife, and uh, it was it was great because he was exactly like I was kind of pictured him. In fact, we sat there, and I, I said my first questions to him were, "How did you like this script?" And he says, "Oh, I think it's a good script." And I said, "Oh, you think it portrays things accurately?" Because uh, I wanted to see if there was anything that he thought was made up that didn't look right. And uh, he was uh, he was extremely pleasant and uh, and very supportive of the deal. So I I thought I said, "Who do you see playing you?" And he said, "Well, I don't know. We've had uh, we've talked about that a little bit and uh, a couple things." And, and I said, uh, "I said, what about Tom Hanks?" And he said, "Yeah, we've talked to him. He was thought of right away. He'd be, he's terrific." And uh, so that's what happened. We came back and we made the overture to Tom Hanks. And at first, he wasn't sure about uh, the timing and everything because he'd been doing other projects. But he did read the script and liked it a lot. So. Uh, he found that he wanted to be participating. And is there a quality about Tom that, because he was your first choice, right, from the beginning? Right, from the like, very beginning. What, was we there, never was offered to anybody else. But is there something about him that was, like, essential to bring to the screen about the man that you're telling the story about? Well, Tom um, uh, is, uh, you know, has a certain uh, pre- presence and a certain uh, humbleness in his presence. He's not a... Uh, extrovertish. I mean, he can be, but <laughs> but in his, he 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 comes across like a uh, a reserved uh, type of guy, and um, and and uh, he just seemed like he would be able to get his arms around the uh, the character as 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 good as anybody, and. Um, I can't think of any downside to him. He was this right. He was—he's the exact same age in real life as Sully was when the incident happened. Uh, everything fell into place. That's awesome. And Aaron Eckhart uh, plays Giles, his right. co-pilot. And Aaron Eckhart is a huge fan of yours. How how did you 
come to er, uh, cast er, Aaron Eckhart in this role, and and what do you think he brings to the character? Um, well, he's a very much. Uh, in fact, when Sully saw the picture, the real Sully, he said uh, how he, he thought that uh, Aaron Aaron had captured uh, the first officer uh, in. Uh, in a very, very great way, he thought it thought it was very much like the guy—the same sense of humor, the same kind of playfulness in, in life prior to, of course, the incident. And um, yeah, so, and Aaron uh, just was about the same age, the same. Everything fit, you know. It's one of those deals. Of, I always believe that uh, one of the most important uh, things in making a film is casting it correctly, uh, and that is sometimes your uh, very elated when that happens, and then it turns out to be just right. And sometimes when it, does, it turns out just not just right, you're figuring, well, what other gimmick can I put in here to cover up the fact that this is no nothing like the person that we're really portraying there? Um, uh, the, you, 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 you're telling a story that that actually happened at the same time. It's, it's, you know, it's it's a drama, and I was just wondering, like. You took such pains to, to to bring authenticity to it. Why was that so important for you to really be truthful and authentic in telling this story? Well, I, I think it uh, it was important to be authentic because it's it it isn't that long ago. You know, we're talking seven years and stuff. If it's something that's historical, uh, you know, centuries back or half a century or a century back it's a different deal not a different deal but you try to get it accurate there too but it's this there's still a, a ton of people that were standing there on the on the either on the street when they saw all this happen or they were in office buildings or hotels or whatever and they looked out and saw this plane hit the water and then all the people out on the wings and everything so and and then the, all the news uh, casters were uh, covering it. It was it was covered worldwide pretty well. I've I've talked to people from all around the world. I Brandon, I was talking to some people from China the other day, and they knew all about it. So it wasn't like anything. It's still in the memories of everybody. The real event. And I have to ask you about your own brush with a water landing. If you could just tell me about that in, in your, your own life when you were in the military. I understand you actually went through it or something. I did. It was something similar, except it was a military plane. It was a Douglas AD. I was in the Army in, at, at 21. And uh, I was drafted at, at age 21, and, and I. But you could in the at that time during the Korean War, if you wore your uniform, you could fly free on any other branch of the service. You could fly with the Navy if they had an opening, or the Air Force if they had an opening. If they had a seat open, they'd, they'd let you get on for free. So I went. I uh, wanted to go back up after. Uh, 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 basic training. I wanted to go up to uh, Seattle, where my folks were living at that time, and so I got the, went out to Monterey Airport and got a free flight to Seattle. And then, but nothing comes for nothing. <laughs> uh, sometimes, anyway. Uh, so anyway, when coming back on that uh, Sunday night, I uh, called up uh, at Sandpoint out of Seattle. And asked if they had any, uh, the Navy had any openings on a plane. And they said, no, they didn't have any. Nothing was going there. And then they said, well, wait a minute, we do have 
two Douglas ADs uh, taking off, and there there that does have a compartment in the back that's uh, used for radar and various things because these things are used during the Korean War and the, in World War II as torpedo bombers. And they said, if you're, you're not claustrophobic, are you? And I said, oh, no, I'm not claustrophobic. No, no problem. Because these compartments are tiny, and you can't see out much. You've got a little tiny porthole on the side. You're looking at a bunch of instruments and stuff on the front, which you know nothing about. And so we, anyway, we took off from there, and we had, we had all kinds of bad weather. Had to change and all kinds of problems, oxygen running out, all that sort of thing. And then finally we got down to San Francisco. We were going to Alameda Air Base, was the uh, and and uh, it was all f- stormy, very stormy. And so I th- I kept sitting there. By this time I was in a wonder. I thought maybe we're going to end up landing on Mount Tamalpais or something. But anyway, uh, radios didn't work. So we went. He went out to sea. And finally found a hole through the clouds, and they got down under the clouds, and you could see the Golden Gate Bridge in the background. And uh, we headed up there, and then he was—the last uh, word I heard on the radio before the radio went out was, we're up uh, two hours on our—two and a half hours on two hours estimated gas or something like that, some ridiculous amount. And then so he went up the coast by Point Reyes. And Northern California, and off uh, were several miles. It could have been seven, ten feet, but it all felt like seven miles. Or it all felt like a lot of distance. I couldn't tell you what it was. But we landed in, in the water, and it came the same thing. The engine gave out, and the same thing as in the movie. It, but no, nobody told me anything because I couldn't hear anything. So, but they had seat belts, and I just tightened it down so much I was getting gangrene. And we hit the water and bounced along pretty good, uh, much like the plane does for in Sullivan's case, Sullenberger's case. And then the plane went up like this and started sinking. So, meanwhile, I'm unbuckling, getting out, and the plane is facing downward, but it had big flaps. So, we're, I'm standing on the flap. Meanwhile, the pilot comes down from up above where the cockpit was. And he's there, and he says, what do you think? And I said, it looks like we're going swimming. And so we jumped in the water and uh, started moving towards shore. Now, this was in the late afternoon, and it turned dark in the middle of the night. I mean, it turned dark as we went. and uh, But you could see the shore because it had phosphorus in the water. And very eerie because phosphorus, uh, it makes the water all kind of glow around. And you could see by the way it was crashing on the shore that it would be, uh, that, that wasn't, wasn't going to be a good place to land. And uh, so anyway, we made it crawling over kelp beds and doing all kinds of stuff like that. And then finally uh, made it in. He thought I drowned. I thought he had drowned. Because we lost touch with each other because of the waves, and then uh, I started hiking south. He hiked north, came to a farm. I hiked south, and uh, and the, finally we ended up at a. At a I, I ended up at a RCA relay station uh, up on the cliff near Bolinas, California, and that was that. 
That is an amazing story. Yeah, like, it's kind when of. When is that movie coming out? That movie, <laughs> well, that was the, the only thing that it has it has to do with nothing really, except today. Except that uh, I was, it was an interesting choice that I'm given one about a water landing that's successful, and uh, to uh, to direct. So I guess I'm as knowledgeable as anybody they could have gotten. All right, so uh, that was uh, Clint Eastwood. That was Clint Eastwood. You know, what I found kind of interesting about that, too, um, kind of talking about the pressure to be more accurate because it was a more recent event than something that, you know, maybe yeah. happened 100 years ago or more. And, that, I mean, that, I guess that's a that's a good point to make because it is still, you know, it was only seven years ago and it's still something that's relatively fresh in people's minds. Well, I, you know, the moment I heard the movie was being made, actually, the way I, the way I learned about this movie being made is, and this is a true story, a friend of mine was visiting from San Diego, and we still lived in Castleberry Hill at the time, and we walked over to kind of the downtown area where, like, um, Hard Rock Cafe and stuff is, and we were going to go to the top of the West End, yada, yada, mm-hmm. doing the, the local tourist thing, and we stumbled into this set. We stumbled into them filming, and all of a sudden, oh, there's Clint Eastwood and Tom Hanks up the street there, because they had uh, downtown Atlanta looking like New York, which... It's, I'm not. I wouldn't like typically gawk at a film set, but when you're looking at two legends, you gotta stop and give it a look. You, you know? do. Uh, and it was. I just laughed with with James, who who was visiting from San Diego, and he lived in Los Angeles for a long time. Like how long I lived right in the thick of things in Los Angeles, and never once did I walk down the street and stumble into Clint Eastwood and Tom Hanks filming a major motion picture. So it's one of my favorite Atlanta stories. You know, to stumble into that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's, uh, I, I think walking down the street so far, and of course, I think it was, it was either LA or Vegas. I was walking down the street and I saw Jay Leno, and that's been my only, like, super random, I guess, biggest celebrity experience. I ran into a couple actors from the Vampire Diaries on the Beltline yesterday, but that's not, you know, they're not oh. big names. But, uh, those, I still like that's still pretty cool, yeah, though. Yeah, that's still pretty cool that it's, you know, kind of becoming more normal to either stumble onto a film set or, you know, just happen to be walking down the belt line and, and see some actors. It's, it's cool that that's becoming more of a, a normal thing here in Atlanta. Yeah, more and more. I mean, it's, you know, especially, uh, I'm actually very much looking forward to Soli. I hope it gets good reviews. I'd really like to see it. I hope so too. I mean, it's Clint Eastwood, so I can't imagine that it's it's not going to be awesome. Um, and Tom Hanks too. I, I don't think either of them would sign on to a, a project that wasn't awesome. Although, you know, Tom Hanks saying that he read the screenplay in seventeen minutes. I don't know if I how much of it he read because I don't know that I buy that. But <laughs> maybe he's a really he was fast just looking reader. for his lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or maybe he's a really fast reader. Yeah. All, do I have any lines? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because I really need the exposure at this point in my career. I got to show people <laughs> that I can act. Yeah, I'm still trying to get established. I understand. I root for him. Him and his him and his son both. One day, Colin. <laughs> One, One day. day. You know what? I still remember the very first time that I saw Colin Hanks. Um, I was such a huge fan of Roswell. And, of course, he played a character called Alex on Roswell. And then Orange County. And then all the things that he's done since then. But um, I'm not sure if he did anything before Roswell. He might have. Um, But he'll always be Alex from Roswell to me. Side tangent. He he got my... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, so I think it's a fair tangent. We are actually after this, we can talk about Clint Eastwood's children. Oh, there um, we go. Yeah, but no, uh, 
but yeah, I first noticed him in Orange County. I'm like, that guy kind of looks like Tom Hayes. Got the same last name. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> They're Tom related. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Exactly. Exactly. Which actually, actually, speaking of related, uh, one of the things I did want to touch on really fast is uh, Atlanta. Donald Glover's show is coming pretty soon. Yes. Who is not at all related to Danny Glover. No. So. That's that's a that's a misconception. Apparently, his dad's uh, Donald Glover's dad was also named Dad uh, Donald Glover, and is uh, was a postman. Interesting. So that yeah, not Danny Glover at all. But uh, his show Atlanta is, uh, I think, preparing premiering September 9th. and I'm pretty excited to give that a look because that guy is like holy jack of all trades, and he seems like he's really good at everything he tries to do. And he's also, uh, I think, I saw he was in cast in. Um, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, right? Yes, yes. It actually premieres on September 6th. Oh, September 6th. <laughs> September 9th is Thank Sully. You. Nope, I got you. No worries. <laughs> Say that? That's why we're a team. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, September 6th. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you're a fan of his. I don't know if you uh, checked out of his hip-hop stuff. Or, but yeah. like, the guy that goes from like doing television shows to pretty poignant hip-hop to uh, stand-up comedy. I don't know. And it's all good stuff. I, yeah. I like. I like to watch what he does, and I'm, I even like the promos of this Atlanta show. People walking backwards and all that. It's uh, it's intriguing, and I really hope it's good. It is. It is. It's very different and artsy. Well, I guess FX has done some some pretty different and artsy stuff lately. But this definitely seems yep. like you know a, a a big thing for the network. And I I've loved everything that Donald's done before. I loved him on Community. I've loved everything that yes. he's he's been involved with. Um, and, of course, with Atlanta being kind of at the center of the show, obviously, and I, I haven't seen the pilot yet, but I keep hearing it described as, like, Twin Peaks with rappers. And um, <laughs> I can't envision that in my head yet. I'm just like, and it's okay, it's been a while since I've seen, seen Twin Peaks, too. But um, I just, right. Twin Peaks was such a weird thing to me that I can't really, like, con- use it in talking about anything unless it's, like, really, really weird. And this doesn't seem, right. this seems really good. It doesn't seem really weird. So I'm I'm wondering how, how I'm going to, I'm excited to see the pilot to see kind of where people are pulling that from because it's a very interesting way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, that's super intriguing, though. It is super intriguing, because Twin Peaks, I've seen it already, but I haven't seen Twin Peaks with rappers. Exactly. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's very exciting. But yeah, so that's that's coming up September 6th. September 6th. Yep. So, uh, as you pointed out. So there you go. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention Atlanta, given that we're a podcast that talks about entertainment in Atlanta, and the show is called Atlanta. It is. It's uh, it's so it very harmonious it is as it were <laughs> yeah so next week's gonna be a uh, a good week for for entertainment um i'm actually seeing sully next tuesday so we won't have that review uh on the next podcast it'll be two podcasts from now but um yeah good stuff next week for you guys to go check out Nice, nice. So you're telling me there are going to be surprises next week, especially given you don't even know what's going to happen necessarily. <laughs> I have no clue. Dragon Con. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be That's a surprise fun. to me, too. Um, See that? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I have no idea what interviews we're going to do. So it will be a complete surprise. And um, there's that to look forward to. So I love that you're sticking with that question. I love it. <laughs> Oh, no, no. I, I, I have so much disdain for that poor girl who just asked one question. 
Like she gets all the way to the mountaintop, and that's the question she asked. You get one question to ask the wise person. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, I, I just really hope that we continue to surprise our listening audience with surprises. Because like for right now, for example, it's a big surprise because I continue to sit in a lactation room <laughs> at uh, Eggleston Children's Hospital Atlanta. It's perfect. I think it makes it all the more interesting. <laughs> it makes it all the more something, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, well, cool. We'll have um, something from Dragon Con next week. We'll, we'll see what that is. Um, we'll definitely have stories uh, and we can talk a little bit about the cosplay that we saw there and kind of the big uh, pop culture hits and misses in terms of the cosplay that, that comes out for that. In addition to, of course, all of the interviews and all of that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, that's all I had for, Very exciting. for this week. Did you have anything else, Jagai? Uh, you know, nothing specifically to, to the area of um, entertainment, but, I, you know, I, like I realize we're going through an extremely weird, crazy, kooky time now that, that is that is kind of coming together to hopefully have a really happy ending. But, uh, I, and this sounds like cheesy, but I just wanted to speak to the support and the love that we felt. I mean, not only from close friends and family, but uh, a lot of former colleagues, a lot of friends, Emma, you, like just the support that, that, that I've felt and thereby my wife, Mandy, has felt and Zach's has felt has just been, uh, it's difficult to speak at this level without it just being a constant cliche, but it's been amazing. And, and the kind of support and the love that we felt has seriously gone a long way in helping us get through all this. So I just wanted to actually thank you directly for support and being able to, like willing to deal with me as, as all this crazy stuff has happened. And, um, and everybody else, I mean, Carrie at Atlanta Movie Tours has been huge. And Anna, I mean, because I haven't really been doing a lot of work lately, <laughs> um, but they still continue to support me. And it's just been, um, I don't know, I, I'm humbled by all the support and love that we felt, especially being relatively new to Atlanta. The the number of people that have stepped up to kind of have our backs has just been awesome. So I, I just didn't want that to go unsaid. And I'm sure once I listen to this back, I'll be like, damn it, I could have said that way better. But uh, I don't know. It was just important. Uh, for me to say something. So, Emma, thank you for all the support. And my wife thanks you, and Zach's thanks you. Aww. Well, you guys are constantly in my thoughts, and I can't wait to meet Zach's. And I am just, I'm so thrilled for you guys that you're kind of at the, the in the home stretch of all of this, and you're going to get to bring him home very soon. Us too. Hopefully sooner than later. And then we can have just a crying kid without any tubes. That's the hope. <laughs> That's the hope. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. I think that uh, that wraps up everything for this week. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week with lots of surprises and fun stories. Um, until then, my name is uh, Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt.com. And I'm Jakai Mickelson with Atlanta Movie Tours. We'll see you guys next week. We'll talk next week. Bye, everybody.